0: Hi, this is Panel Beater and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radiotherapy, a weekly radio show dedicated to health, medicine and well-being, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radiotherapy's Facebook page.
1: I am Dr. Doolittle, and joining me in the virtual studio this morning are Drs. Moto, who, like me, is a psychiatrist, and Dr. Sybasu, a senior nurse in Melbourne, and in the real studio, somewhere in remote Brunswick, is panel Panelbeater, bringing all the tech stuff together and also joining us on the show to talk in a little bit once we get all this business going. We've got lots of stuff we're going to cover today. Cyber Sue has invited a special guest all the way from Catherine in the Northern Territory, two special guests in fact, Kate and Tick, and they created an anti-bullying website called Dolly's Dream. And they're going to join us shortly um, to chat about the uh, website and about the background and uh, tell us all about how it came about and what they're doing. Moto's also uh, been uh, hitting the books. He's been hitting the research books, and he's going to give us a bit of an update later in the show on vaccines. Talks us through what the latest is and what's happening. Also, uh, I think Panelbeat is going to tell us a little bit about some uh, about the effect of the lockdown on uh, sports equipment and sporting behaviour. And I'm going to also just touch relatively briefly on whether we do have a shadow pandemic of a mental illness, whether we need a mental health commander, as was called for earlier this week, and what that all means. But before we do anything, we might just jump across to the news.
2: This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos, and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au.
1: Hey, uh, we're on Zoom, uh, people, so I can see Moto, and he's looking mighty fine. Are you feeling mighty fine, Moto?
3: I am, yeah. Went on a bit of a um, cycle um, this morning. Um, couldn't go too far, but it was enough to get the heart rate up. So, feeling invigorated and excited and um, pumped to be on the show. Um, and,
1: Cyber Sue, how are you?
4: I am excellent today, Doolittle, and um, I'm feeling good. It's great to see these familiar faces again, Um, you know, you guys in the studios virtually and, of course, our friends from Catherine. So I feel good.
1: Yeah, that's nice. Um, You know, just on that topic, motor, I don't know, when you do your 5Ks, you're only allowed 5Ks, so if you're walking, it's easy. You know, you're not going to really need to walk further. But I'm a cyclist too. So I I think, in theory, I'm meant to leave my house, ride 5Ks, turn around, ride 10Ks, so 5Ks back and then 5Ks in the other direction. I mean, you'd be going back and forth. forth. It's it's a little bit weird, Well, I'm going to go on a bike ride. Let's see if we can hear Panelbeater now. Have you hey, got me you, there? Oh, Panelbeater, we, we
0: can hear you. How are you, mate? <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Shame we can't be in the uh, studio, but we're pulling it together, right?
1: You, Yeah, I know. You must be having a busy morning because you uh, you did everything for Marinara too, didn't you?
0: Yeah, Marinara did a bit of a juggle with their panelling this morning, so I stepped up.
1: Oh, fantastic effort, man. Great to uh, have you in there. Hey, uh, I'll start the ball rolling then with a little bit of uh, my catch-up, um, my, uh, catch up, my uh, news, because uh, a lot of people in Melbourne would have heard earlier in the week, the call for a mental health commander. And the, the sto- it came out in the daily news briefings, and then it was covered in most of the newspapers. And basically, they started talking about the shadow pandemic of mental illness. Now, just just so you know, there's been a couple of shadow pandemics talked about. The term's also been used for um, family violence. And also, some people use shadow pandemic to mean the mental health problems once you've had COVID. So they mean the shadow pandemic mean you get COVID and then after COVID, you might have some um, neurological and mental health problems that uh, follow on. But this was more referring to the shadow pandemic of mental health problems related to the lockdown. And, uh, and, I've, also, and I've seen it, you know, a lot around the place, people talking about, um, you know, the, the, this sort of uh, a pandemic of mental health problems. What do you guys think at this point? You know, have you, uh, Moto, have you seen much evidence? What, what's
3: been your thoughts? Yeah, look, there certainly is a fair bit of um, lockdown fatigue. And um, if anything, I'm I'm hearing more sort of around the traps and also on the news that it's um, the young people and the children who are struggling. Um, You know, as we all know, um, applying a a systems theory to um, education and childhood development, um, you know, children don't just learn from um, didactic text, they learn from each other, they learn from exploration, they learn from um, group discoveries and, um, you know, they learn in more organic and ad hoc sources and, um, you know, they're uh, probably not getting a lot of that kind of stimulation while they're all just, you know, cooped up in their bedrooms. So it's been really tough. Cyber Sue what's your your observations?
4: I'm seeing the same thing I mean I kind of sometimes I think about myself a little bit like the canary in the coal mine I'm a positive person I have a pretty good life everything's pretty good for me I've got a job and so on and I kind of feel this low-grade pessimism and I'm absolutely seeing it around me and it's just it's it's just a kind of a a society-wide thing I work with uh, my colleague has three children and Yeah, the children are suffering, but so is she. As the parents, um, as people looking after others, I think it's really taking its toll on all of us now.
3: Um, I'm just going to... Um, use that as a bit of a segue to um, um, pass on a, a bit of a positive slant that a good friend of mine um, shared with me. You know, this is a, a good friend who's um, a, a very, very conscientious, driven um, career woman. You know, she juggles a very successful um, business empire. You know, she, um, she's got a, um, a, a five-year-old son and she also just gave birth about 10 months ago. Um, and normally she'd never be home. Um, and, um, you know, this speaks to the positive and um, optimistic nature of herself. You know, she just sort of said, you know, this is a great opportunity to spend more time with my kids and just laughed it off. So I thought, good on you.
1: That's yeah, good. look, you know, it's it, this is the sort of thing that's got me a bit confused because I've heard the same. When I wander around my workplace, I'm hearing a lot of reports that um, – people are very distressed and, and and it's coming out left right and center lots of uh, in public settings people are talking about their problems but it is again it's sort of like you just hint at there there's a real two sides to it there's you know a lot of people talking about the Silver linings and a lot of people talking about the struggles they're going through and terms like toxic positivity. Some people getting angry that people are being too positive and and that positivity is putting too much pressure on others. This toxic positivity and another term I heard that sort of ties into it is performative suffering. A lot of people, you know, um, expressing their suffering in a in a in a way that's almost you know, a performance, I guess, is is the correct term, although I don't understand that term quite so well. And so I was looking at, you know, what is the evidence? And so, you know, clearly we've got a rise in calls to support lines. That's been across the board. Kids Helpline, Lifeline, all been talking about a rise. Clearly we've had a rise in presentations and mental health services, emergency departments, hospitals, my hospitals, rates of referrals have gone up by about 30, 40%. We didn't get the pre- predicted, thankfully, we didn't get the predicted rise in suicide yet, but of course suicide is much harder to measure. So that might just be because our measurements aren't good enough or they haven't come through. And I guess you know, what, I'm trying to, what I'm trying to get at here is we clearly have a rise in distress. No doubt about that. People are talking about a lot more distress. But whether or or not that's equating to a rise in rates of actual mental illness is hard to know yet because we don't have measures. We have great measures for distress, but we don't have great measures in the community of um, whether we're actually getting more rates of depression or anxiety because distress and mental illness are different. Distress, transient, you get it when you're under pressure like lockdown or things are, you know, lots of troubles going on, but distress, then when the lockdown or when the distress, the cause of the distress passes, you get better. Mental illness, that's more pervasive develops over time, doesn't go away quite so um, quickly. And so I guess, you know, I, I don't want to go into too much details because of time, but I guess the question I'm asking, um, the, the thing I'm, I'm thinking is that we have to be very careful about talking about pandemics of mental illness when what we've really got is clearly a pandemic of distress and we've got to be careful for a lot of reasons we don't want to divert mental health resources away from the places where they're being used and desperately needed to places other places we don't necessarily want everyone with distress to be talking to a psychologist or psychiatrist we want them to be teasing out the mental illness what we want for distress is we want self-help we want people to recognize the things they can do we want them to know that they can get assessed so if you're in distress and you're worried that you can go and see a GP or you can jump onto Lifeline or Beyond Blue and talk to someone and find out whether your distress um, n- needs more support, and then we basically watch and wait and see. I guess that that was sort of where I was going. Any comments on that? Because I know I've covered that very quickly. Cyber Sue?
4: Yeah, I think that really does highlight a silver lining in some ways, that the calls to Lifeline are increasing, but it's meaning that people are... <clears throat> getting a sense that it's okay to reach out and it's okay to make that call. And, you know, the, the numbers of those first-time callers to Lifeline have been more than they ever have been. Those first-time people are almost apologetic that they're calling in. Um, and that, that that's a positive thing that people are recognising and responding to their own distress.
1: That's one of the tricky things because we've known for years that there's way high rates of mental illness in the community, it's, you know, about 10% suffer in any given year compared to how many people actually access help. And one of the things the pandemic has done is made people... A, aware of how to get help, and B, less stigmatised about getting it. But let's put that aside for a second, because I know Panelbead has also got something that he, um, he's uh, been looking at from scouring the newspapers.
0: Well, yeah, uh, not so much the newspapers. A bit of, uh, bit of journal work uh, this time around. Um There's a couple of things I've been looking at about uh, this uh, story that's going on about what's the new normal going to look like, you know, and most commonly that is about will people be returning to their place of work typically, especially for office workers? Will the office work ever be the same again? One of the things that's running in parallel there is discussions about will people return to the same sort of fitness behaviors or health uh, behaviors they had in the past? And people are linking this to this question, to the really dramatic uh, uh, increase in purchasing of home exercise equipment. So in a sense, it seems as if we're looking forward to one of two or maybe some kind of combination of uh, two scenarios. One, uh, in the near future, hopefully all being well, um, after lockdown, Lots of eBay and Gumtree sales of exercise bikes, treadmills, uh, weights, et cetera, et cetera, or people won't be returning to the gym the way that they were. And uh, there's a bit of conflicting information, it seems, out there. Uh, Some, we know for sure that the um, equipment purchasing went dramatically up very early on last year, um, and it's continued to rise, although it's slowed down. Um, And we know that, obviously, gyms were closed. What we um, are getting mixed messages about is the number of people who are returning. And um, Nautilus, one of the world's largest uh, fitness equipment um, uh, companies, did their own internal research for obvious reasons. And they reckon up to 30% of commercial gym goers will never go back. They're now going to stay at home. That's that's pretty significant. I'm wondering if you guys, did you buy equipment to work at home and maybe even buy an acoustic motorbike or something like that? You know, it's an interesting one. It doesn't surprise me, the 30%, because just like people aren't going to
1: go back to the office in droves, people are going to feel for a long time uncomfortable about crowded places where you're sweating and sharing um, respiratory uh, products, gases and and droplets. Um, Yeah, I did a little bit, although I didn't purchase, but I set up two of my bikes for indoor use and... uh, um, and But then again, I don't know if that was mainly because Melbourne winter. Yeah, it, it, it's hard to know. What about – yeah, but I've
0: certainly got an indoor setup going. The, 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 one of the curious things that the data won't reveal at the moment, but I'm sure there is a bunch of researchers ready to jump on it, and um, that is whether people are purchasing it and using it. Yeah, <laughs> There's a, lot, the a lot of garages around <laughs> around the land where, that are full of uh, exercise bikes that may not be getting used. Cybersuit?
4: Yeah, well, I mean, I am case in point. I bought the dumbbells. I signed up to the online yoga. I'm safe. uh, uh, Well-being Victoria uh, website with great exercises. I had the best intentions in the world. The dumbbells are still sitting in the lounge and I'm ashamed of myself. I've got no excuse except for Melbourne winter and I'm just not doing that exercise.
3: Moto? Yeah, look, I think it's a bit harder to get committed and stay consistent, you know, if it's just at home by yourself, you know, whereas if you've signed up for a class somewhere and, you know, you've packed your gear at the start of the day and you're going to go to wherever you're working out after you've spent the day at the office, it's a little bit harder to talk yourself out of it. Um, look, I mean, just coming back to um your point panel Beta, about um whether I'd sort of bought new equipment. um look, I dusted off my push bike last year and um started riding to work. You know I tried to do so sort of one or twice tw- once or twice a week, so that's my um that's my um little bit of exercise. Um, and you to your- oh, sorry. To to your point of a little bit earlier, um, Doolittle, with the, you know, um, how far can you cycle um, if it was a five kilometre radius, just doing some quick and dirty maths, right? You know, we know that um, if it's a five kilometre radius and to measure the circumference of a circle is two pi r, theoretically speaking, you can just follow a five kilometre radius from wherever you live and do 31 kilometres.
1: Yeah, I don't like that. I don't like that because where are you going to find a circular road to just unless you, <laughs> it goes around you? With no, it's case? easier to just
3: it's easier to just ride to the bakery, ride home, ride to the butcher, ride home. What about you, Panel Peter? Have you as your exercise habits changed?
0: The main thing for me that I've missed is um, I, I'm a, a rider, commuter. I ride. To and from um, the city, so um, that's gone out the window, um, and uh, I've just been left to really just either either go riding around the neighbourhood, which is not really my thing, um, or walking and running. Um, but but I've got a renewed enthusiasm for actually going back to the gym. So I'm probably one of those who's looking forward to lockdown, so I can actually change my behaviour. Yeah,
1: yeah. A lot of people do love it. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch that space.
2: This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up the Triple R website to find out how.
1: Cyber Sue, why don't you do the honours and introduce our special guests from? I would love
4: to. I would love to do little, <laughs> because we are truly very privileged today. We are being joined by Kate and Tick Everett from Catherine. Um, some of their for some of you, their name may be familiar. In two thousand and eighteen, um, Kate and Tick's fourteen-year-old daughter Dolly, she took her life. Her suicide made headlines around Australia, and it helped awaken the nation to the devastating effects of bullying and cyberbullying. Now, I had the honour of meeting Kate and Tick on my Sikes and Bikes um, trip around Australia earlier this year. After Dolly's tragic death, Kate and Tick founded Dolly's Dream. And I'll talk a bit about this today. And I saw for myself on my trip the amazing positive impact that Dolly's Dream has been having throughout back Australia. And so we're really privileged. And I'm actually... Deeply humbled in having Kate and Tick join us today. So welcome, Kate and Tick.
5: Good morning.
4: Thank you. Yeah. Um it's warmer up there. I heard that people are complaining because it's 25 degrees in Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do we do
6: have problems with them as soon as it's under 30 degrees. Apparently it's cold. <laughs>
4: <laughs> we don't have that problem down here. But I thought i I just kind of get us going here. Um, you've experienced it firsthand yourselves and you've heard the stories over the past three years. How extensive actually is cyberbullying in Australia? What's, what's your take on that? Look, um,
2: you know,
6: when, when we lost Dolly um, and, and we started Dolly's Dream, um, it was. It was one in four children have have experienced bullying, and one in five have experienced um, cyberbullying. And um, the eSafety Commissioner Julie Inman Grant um, has said that one in five um, have been bullied online. Um, that that continues, and the average age is fourteen, and um, and predominantly more girls are bullied online than than boys. Um it's um you know and 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 shockingly there's a 30% surge in youth cyberbullying in the in the uh 2021 um statistics with with the e safety commissioner so um you know hate groups using um popular social media platforms such as you know Snapchat Instagram Facebook
1: so what does um uh tick and Kate, it's, um do little speaking what does cyberbullying look like like what what are the main
5: forms I think the unscientific version from a dad would be, you know, repetitive, relentless, um, putting someone down continuously. Um, you know, back back in the day, as we all say, that if we'd go to school, we'd go to sport, there'd be a little bit of banter, there'd be a little bit of to and fro, and then you'd go home and it, that's where it'd finish. Um, I think the society we live in now, it's... It's a little bit different to that. It's just a continual, you know, twenty four seven if you're allowed to be, um, which you know obviously affects children in a lot lot harder way than than the normal old schoolyard or sports ground bullying, so to speak. Do you no, get the sense time. then?
1: So I was going to say, do you get the sense that social media and the internet have created new ways to bully people and ways to do it much harsher? Because my sense is it gets into your bedroom now, whereas before, as you say, it was in the schoolyard. Yep. Now, you, impossible to escape. Is there a sense that the internet and social media has sort of turbocharged bullying?
5: Absolutely. I think definitely it has. I think in a, more so, though, it's given people that aren't strong enough to do something face-to-face, it's given them... An opportunity to do it, as we call them, a keyboard warrior or, or a pad warrior, and it's you know it's easier to belittle somebody when they can't see you and you can't see them, and mm. I think that's the biggest the biggest issue we've got.
6: Yeah, taking that emotional context out of it, probably, um, and and I think um, children probably uh, you know are more inclined to use new apps as they as they come on the market, and you know for example Snapchat and the the belief that it's some um, you know it, it disappears it it can't you know nothing nothing can happen you know it, that message goes away and image-based abuse is you know so prevalent as well and um unfortunately um you know it, it can be copied and it can be shared and that's that's you know a, a really major player in that um, cyber bullying space moto
3: yeah hi guys uh, moto here um and I would imagine um when you know people um you know make these uh you know very um, hurtful remarks or um um bullying statements um, whereas traditional bullying you know the people that are there within earshot would hear it, but now um on social media um theoretically speaking you know millions of people could see and hear it, so I think the um the, the detrimental impact will probably be much more wide wider spread as well absolutely
6: and and you know that um, around having you know personal messages shared and belittled or or images um, um, shared and you know it's the the effects on on the mental health of, of teens is you know, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. It, it's really um, probably opened our eyes too little, too late for, for the effects of that. And I, guess, and I guess that's where we come back to, you know, Dolly's Dream and, and what we began to um, build three years ago in, and in the hopes of, you know, hopefully other parents don't have to um, walk this road.
4: Yeah, and absolutely, Kate and Tick. I mean, you know, a, a tragic thing that happened for you and you've you've just what you're doing with that is extraordinary. Can you tell our um, listeners a little bit about what Dolly's Dream actually is and um, what it actually what it, what it does?
6: Um, so not only did we we started Dolly's Dream um, as a legacy to our own daughter. Um, this was about giving a voice to those that didn't have the vo- uh, a voice and and thought they didn't have the support to speak up I guess um you know there was there was not only dolly lost to suicide at, at that time there was there was a whole group of girls you know that that hit media headlines and um I, I just I, I guess as parents we thought maybe maybe if we speak up and maybe if we you know, bring it to a head, people will start to recognise, you know, the effects of bullying and, and how detrimental it is to our kids. Um, but but what we do, um, so Dolly's Dream is, is about speaking up, um, promoting a voice, um, reaching out and getting help. We're about um, spreading kindness. Um, and, and how do we do that? Um, we've got uh, programs such as our eSmart programs in schools, um, we've got educational tools such as our Digi Pledge, um, which is an online tool which raises some, um, you know, it, it helps parents negotiate those um, really difficult conversations about online safety and about bullying and about speaking up and not being a bystander. Um, look, we've got Connect workshops to help teachers and parents. Um, we've got our Parent Hub on our website, which is you know full of amazing articles um on on so many topics and and then our our most um recent sort of help is is really aimed at people who can't access psychological help or counselling straight away um and that's our dolly's dream support line um and we've and we've done that with the support of um a foundation called tx as well
4: that's amazing, Kate. And I heard um, that you ran it, your first ever marathon in Alice Springs to raise funding for that. So big, big clap from us for you for doing uh, that. <laughs> uh, th-
6: thank you, from a from a non-runner and, and a, a mum of mid forties. It was, um, you know, it, it, it's what started out as a, I guess, a, a lockdown fitness self-help kind of a, a, an issue turned into this phenomenal fundraiser, and we actually managed to raise. $21,000 that went straight towards um, our helpline, which basically is about $250 worth of free mental health care for any, anybody, um, you know, so it's, um, you know, that's, that's a phenomenal effort. And um, I, I guess basically it, 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 our belief is it shouldn't, help shouldn't be inaccessible for anyone.
4: Absolutely. And so just before Steve's doing a little wrap, the um, website for Dolly's Dream. Look, the website. Yeah, um, <laughs> dolly'sdream.org.au. Um, people can find out more. You've got a heap of resources in there. You've got um, practical resources to help kids with navigating online safety. You've got tips for parents. You mentioned tips for um, schools and teachers and so on. It's amazing the work you guys are doing. Hey, Thank
1: I wasn't going to do a wrap-bump. <laughs> oh, this I
2: This is see. the problem
1: of doing it on Zoom. I just wanted to ask a question. I had my oh, hand sorry. up to ask a question. <laughs> I wasn't trying to cut you off. Hey, uh, Kate and Tick, um, you know, it struck me listening to you talk about that, that, you know, you've obviously had to upskill yourself in something that's a, a massive area. And I was wondering, like, did you have a background in understanding this sort of stuff? Or, you know, do you come from a social work background or something? Or how did you learn, you know, to put together all of these different resources like school stuff and stuff? stuff for kids and, you know, all the stuff that's on the Dolly Dream website that I've also um, had a look at, you know, how did you get the skill, especially, you know, I mean, what must have been a horrible period of grief? How, how did you go about negotiating that whole process of learning about what to provide and what people need?
5: I think it was a more of a case of um, or, sink or swim, really. Um, neither of us were public speakers. Neither of us were out there sort of people that you know put ourselves out there and to be honest I don't think either of us realized what this was going to become we just hoped it was going to help a few parents and a few kids and and sort of grew bigger and bigger but you know we we're we we're very very lucky that we had a lot of people come on board early on that, that had a lot more experience in this field than we did you know we joined up with the Alana Madeline Foundation Foundation Walter Mgeke. You know, he was. It was, and still is, a great supporter and a and a big fan of us. Um, it it was just a case of, in the moment, if you you know, we we always said we wanted to help other people. We didn't want other people to walk this road, and we had to figure out not the mistakes we made, so to speak, but the things that we didn't see, the pieces we missed of the puzzle. And we felt that if we could put those pieces out. For everybody else then that's how we start to save lives and you know we didn't we didn't know anything at the start to be honest we thought starting a charity was going to be a pretty simple task and away we go and it turns out that you need a lot of people and you need a lot of help and you need a lot of friends to to get it up and going and you know I mean I'm very grateful for the support that we get them um, there's a lot of people out there that do stuff behind the scenes and they all say oh, I was ticking Kate and Dolly's dream but it's the community and and tick and Kate that, that make it happen.
4: And I mean, you're absolutely right. You've got so many um, amazing leaders from around, um, especially Rural Regional Australia, behind you, which is credit to the both of you. Um, you mentioned before um, uh, some of the warning signs. What 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 are some of the signs that you that you can kind of tell our view uh, our listeners, about that kids might be getting bullied online? What should so, they look out for?
6: So as part of our um, Do It For Dolly Day campaign this year, we included um, a campaign that um, recognised seven major signs of bullying, and some of these um, might include, um, you know, kids becoming upset or anxious when using their devices. Um, they may stop using their devices or a massive change in, in the way they use them. Um maybe losing interest in things that they once enjoyed, um, unexpected changes in friendship groups, um, a decline in schoolwork, um, avoidance of school, like not wanting to go to school or not wanting to go to sport or clubs or whatever they usually do, um, and a a sudden avoidance of, you know, other teens and that, that, um, you know, seemingly lonely or anxious or signs of depression um, creeping in.
1: Can I ask on that issue? Obviously, you try and obviously, I'm sure your number one advice is going to be to talk to your kids and and try and understand. But I just I'm curious because this has been a debate amongst my friends for years. Do you spy on their devices? Do you look at their devices? Do you check their history and stuff like that?
6: Look, I think um, as as part of the Dolly Stream approach, um, we would encourage um, conversations around healthy use and around boundary setting. Um, i know there's there's apps um, you know the mama bear app and there's a, there's the um family insights that all um, have have control measures out there um but we've come up with the DigiPledge, pledge which um, which really helps navigate some of the tricky conversations and um, around, you know, being let loose online. You wouldn't let your kid go off to the to the a pub or a club or something, and, and kind of online, they've got access to so much. Um, so that Digi Pledge is really about education. So, um, look, it, it's yeah,
5: building your trust. With yeah, you it's about it's about
6: than. building the trust and and education and about. Um, what that looks like online. You know, you may may not be able to see it, but the repercussions of your actions now are, you know, gonna have an effect down the road. And and so we're more about prevention and education, I think.
4: And I mean, I love the look of that, did you education tickets? Um, it kind of gives a framework to such an important conversation and it's so hard for parents and us older generation now to navigate what, what the kids world is like online. So I guess you know what's your kind of thoughts on um, as a nation? Are we making headway on this? And you know, do you think we're doing enough at a government level? What's your thoughts? Look, um, we, we we did speak to the Minister for Communications
6: um, earlier this year, Paul Fletcher, um, and we were privileged enough to be involved in the conversation of the Online Safety Bill before it went to Parliament, and yeah i do i do think in the last three years we have seen the government step up um you know some of the positives to come out of that bill is now the eSafety commissioner has the ability to request platforms you know like insta or, or facebook to to remove um harmful content within a 24-hour period or be seen to, to be taking steps to remove that content as quickly as possible um We've we've seen um, you know the ability for the e safety commissioner to f- uh, force an apology for someone that's seen to be online bullying. So these are all positive steps. Um, you know, I- is it enough? I I, I think the, there's always going to be a new you know new people to educate. We're we're always going to be able to influence a culture, and cultures are only as strong as their leaders in in any, you know, whether it's a school or a business. Um, so, you know, it will, we'll never get to a point where it's just perfect. Like we'll always need that education and and, and that reinforcement of positivity, I guess. Um, as a, as a it would be nice if we had some kind of national standard across schools, um, you know, but at, at this stage, there's still so many, you know, there's the public schools and the private schools and the Catholic schools and, you know, everyone fits into a different basket. It'd be nice if we had something, you know, nationally, but I don't keep us busy for the next rest of our life probably.
1: Yeah. It sounds like it. Hey, um, Kate and Tick, it's so inspiring to hear people um, do so much work in such an important area and especially, of course, um, uh weaving some good out of such a terrible tragedy. And so, uh, you know, it is. we appreciate incredibly you coming on, especially all the way from Catherine where you're complaining because it's um, so cold at 25 degrees. Um, but it is it is fantastic to hear from you. And I can I encourage everyone to check out the website. I had a really good look at it yesterday. It's called dollysdream.org.au. D- Dolly is D-O-L-L-Y-S, dream, one word, .org.au. Um Get on board, have a look. And, you know, of course, anyone with school, with any um, young children, and it's one of those things you have to be educated on. Thanks again, guys, for coming on all the way from up there. Much well, appreciated. Thank you so Very much for having
6: us.
2: This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organization in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rr.org.au to find out how.
1: Now we have Moto, wherever he is about to tell us a little bit about vaccines. Moto, how are you, Matt?
3: What have you got to talk about? I'm, I'm very good this morning. Thank you, Doolittle. Um, yes, and, uh, you know, I thought uh, given that more than half of the, um, the country is in um, an unfortunate lockdown and, uh, you know, we're dealing with a particularly virulent um, coronavirus strain, it would be remiss of us to not make some comments about um, the uh, the state of um, vaccine rollout. It sounds like this is um, the uh, only established way of um, getting out of um, the mess that we're in. Um, and uh, for the listeners, um, they might know that if they go to health.gov.au, there are actually daily updates to um, the uh, the total number of um, vaccines that have been given and how we're tracking. And um, the, the Guardian has also um, uh, also provides very uh, up to date um, quanta into this space as well. But um, just just by way of a quick update, um, as of um, two days ago, uh, there's been um, 16,815,000 doses administered in Australia um, and uh, the rates of vaccination are about 300,000 a day, which is pretty astronomical if you think about it. And um, about 52% of um, people over the age of 16 in Australia have, um, have, have had at least one dose now. And about 30% um, have um, had uh, two doses and are considered fully vaccinated. So, um, you know, I think the, the rates are certainly ramping up and um, it's, it's looking um, pretty positive. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, when we're going to get to our targets of 70 to 80%, um, you know, the way uh, the trajectory is currently looking, we're looking like we're probably going to get to about 70% at the start of November around Melbourne Cup Day and uh, um, 80% for the whole country um, just under three weeks um, after that. So, Wait, so can um, I interrupt you there,
1: Moto? Of course. Is that, is that 70 and 80% of double-dosed or one dose?
3: Yes, fully vaccinated.
1: Wow. That's soon. I, I haven't got a calculator anymore. Um, cause I don't know, I'm too old to have one now, but so 300,000 a day. And when we, and I, I assume we you know, start at three thirty 30%, we don't start at the higher rate of double. So at 300,000 a day, we'll get up to double that quickly. That's amazing. That's really positive. That's that, that amazes me. And we've got enough supply now, have we?
3: Well, look, that's what, that's what's um, being touted. And, um, you know, the, uh, the availability, and I think the more um, ready um, re- uh, acceptance of the AstraZeneca vaccine means that um, more more and more people are um, opting to um, just get the jab, no matter what jab it is. And, um, you know, I've also got some interesting data about um, um, ve- vaccine hesitancy, interesting research, I should say, about vaccine hesitancy as well.
1: Before you get to it, let's do a straw poll. Okay, I've had... Yeah. Um, I, I feel free not to answer, of course, because it's private information, but I've had... Uh, My two, but I got them really early because I was, you know, working in Indigenous communities. So I got Pfizer times two back in about February.
4: Yeah, I've had both of mine too. I wanted to get mine done before I went around Australia and I managed to sneak that in. What
3: about you, Moto? Yeah, look, I had my um, double doses of um, AstraZeneca um, back in March. And I know, look, and, and I might um, share my quick anecdotes if, uh, on the air if that's okay, because I know there's um, a bit of um, concern about um, the um, AstraZeneca vaccine. And the research does show like large scale pooled research, what we call meta analyses in statistics. Um, these meta-analyses do show that the AstraZeneca vaccine is more likely to cause side effects compared to other vaccine technologies. So that's 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 the empirical fact. Um, but if um, I can share my quick personal um, experience with it, I did not feel a single thing. I was almost a little bit disappointed. I got the jab and I felt perfectly fine. I went to work. I did my bicycle ride. Um, I did not feel a single thing. I did not even get a headache or a sniffle.
1: Okay, I know the answer to this, but obviously, does that mean the vaccine wasn't working for you? Don't say that.
3: Don't say that. that The
1: reason I ask it is, seriously, it's one of the top 10 questions that come in on vaccine websites. If you don't get side effects, does it mean it's not working? Of course it doesn't. It it works just as fine if you don't get get it, but I was just asking you, because that is seriously one of the top 10 questions, because a lot of people don't get side effects, and then they start to wonder, oh... Am I not reacting to it um, I just, side, of, I side just, effects and effectiveness aren't related so how effective are they what's the what's the latest from the journals
3: yes look it's um it's, uh, all the vaccines are very very effective and um, it's a good question that you raised because um there was actually a commentary published in the uh, medical journal of Australia just this week past so you know literally hot off the press um, and they looked at Vaccine efficacy papers from all around the world. Um, A lot of these were published by um, UK teams and American teams, and um, uh, they 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 focused um, on studies that looked at the Pfizer and the um, AstraZeneca vaccine, particularly as um, as presumably because they they might be more relevant to Australia. And look, I'll just give you the short version. They're very effective.
1: You know, because and another thing that I think is worth pointing out is when you talk about effectiveness, what do you mean? Because another one, I, I I love these websites. Another one of the top ten questions is: if you've had the vaccine, does that mean you can't get COVID? Now, of course, we all know the answer to this, and I'm sure Triple R people are um, educated enough to know that. Of course, you can. What do they mean by effectiveness? So they,
3: yeah, yeah. So a common outcome measure they look at is um, rates of hospitalisation and rates of infection. Um, and um, looking to see if getting the vaccine means you're less likely to get um, sick with it and therefore end up getting um, vaccinated. Uh, sorry, getting um, hospitalised. Yeah,
1: so in a nutshell, my understanding is if you get the vaccine and most of the rates are about 80 to 90% for Moderna, Pfizer and AstraZeneca, you've That's got correct. about an 80%, 90% chance less so, you get less infection, so you're less likely to get COVID. If you get COVID, you're less likely to pass it on because you have a lower viral load. And if you get COVID, you're less likely to be admitted to hospital, and of course, you're less likely to die. And the less likely to die rates are more like 95, 96, 97%. So, in effect, And I don't know if this is a good analogy, but it turns COVID from a very serious disease with lots of hospitalisation and uh, side effects, you know, in the rate of like 1% or whatever it is, 0.7%, to way, way, way lower. And, of course, it decreases the spread in the community. So it has a great effect on reducing the pandemic, the spread of COVID. That's what we're looking for in in it, isn't it? Absolutely. So what's all of hesitancy about then? Feel free to chip in, by the way. Yeah, so...
4: Well, I mean, I guess I listened. So I get every now and again people send me the kind of oppos- opposite advice to, to vaccines, and so I did listen to one yesterday. And it was useful to hear the uh, to hear some of the other the other side of things, and there is a hesitancy about the needing for uh, repeat vaccinations. There's a, of course, there's the conspiracy theories um, that I'm hearing, um, and people are worried about children getting the vaccination. Um motive?
3: Yeah, um thanks, Cyber. So uh look, mm-hmm. there was a, another very um interesting um, um research paper published in Nature Medicine. So, you know, again, a very um a very reputable and high impact um medical journal. Um and look, they acknowledge the fact that vaccine hesitancy is not a new thing, it's not new for um coronavirus um vaccines, um, but um, obviously this paper was specifically trying to understand COVID-19 vaccine hesitancy. And um, there's a f- the framework that's been developed from the research done in this area um, called the 5C model um, of the drivers for vaccine hesitancy. So um, these 5Cs are confidence in the vaccine, complacency, so just thinking, you know, she'll be right, um, convenience or constraints to convenience. So um, I I, th- I actually think maybe at a practical level, that's maybe what marred our initial vaccine rollout. You know, an- anecdotally, we heard, um, you know, it was hard to um, walk in, the phone lines were always engaged and things like that. So maybe it was just a bit inconvenient to get the vaccine initially. Um, the risk calculation, so the fourth C being risk calculation, um, and um, um, the fifth being um, perhaps uh, um, some people not um, accepting the collective responsibility. And I know that's a, a bit more of a um, contentious area, which um, we won't go into. I don't want to offend anybody out there. Um, but nonetheless, I'm just um, I'm regurgitating the research in this area. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because there's this,
1: you do hear this widespread sense that you've touched on, Cybersug, that a lot of the vaccine hesitancy is due to... Um Uh, the conspiracy theories and all that, the wacky stuff. Let's call it the wacky stuff. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, that's actually small. It gets a huge amount of publicity, but the number of people who genuinely believe in conspiracy theories is actually relatively small. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the big reasons of people who are, are working off probably you know are reading the evidence differently to the rest of us and often they're not getting access to good quality information and you know so it's more about those you know five c's that you talk about their concerns about safety and efficacy and you know they're just dis- and you know but there is an element of distrust in the government as we've seen but uh you know they're not the big things what about overcoming that hes- hesitancy any thoughts on how you overcome it anyone
3: yeah, do little. You raise a good point. Um, look, the, the main the the most common concern is still about side effects. So it's about the risk calculation, um, as far as this research could tell, anyway. And um, um, I, I think as as scientists, as clinician scientists, we sometimes don't necessarily do ourselves much um, favors by. Um, perhaps being a little bit too humble or overcautious or, you know, um, convey our findings with um, far too much jargon. And um, it's, it's confusing. Um, and we know that, um, you know, vaccine um, uh, precautionary um, information about vaccines and their safety did um, cop um, a significant dent to um, consumer confidence um, several months ago.
4: Uh, yeah, I, I just also think we've, um, we, I wonder about the setting of our standards for risk management. Um, we, we, we forget that we, our lives are inherently risky. Um, driving, flying, riding a motorbike, it's all risk. And um, we accept it into our life every single day. And we, I wonder whether we've got to be careful not to lose track of that.
1: Yeah, I think they also got some really crappy um, public messaging from some of our leaders and without naming names, you know, some leaders came out very publicly and said things like, I would not want one person in my community to get sick from AstraZeneca, you know, and so I don't recommend it yet. You know, that was utter nonsense. That sort of, those sort of messages were just crazy. Clearly, you know, it was the risk (laughs) <laughs> the risk um, equation was only if we never get any COVID in Australia. And clearly that's impossible. You know, they should have been coming out saying the exact opposite stuff to that early on. Now, mind you, of course. Oh. You know, our biggest problem has been supply, not actually hesitancy. Our biggest problem has been supply. And we've only just in the last week said that, you know, we've got actually a recommended vaccine for kids, you know, for people under 40. I'm calling them kids. People out there, I'm well into my 50s. So anyone under 40 is a kid as far as I'm concerned. Congratulations. I wish I was. Um, But, uh, you know, so, you know, we've only just had the announcement that Pfizer's coming out for them. Before that, lots of mixed messages about whether AstraZeneca was worthwhile. Some people saying yes, ATAGI saying no, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So it has been really confusing. Hey, we'd better wind up there. You got any take-home messages for us on this one, uh, Moto? Uh, we've still got a few minutes left. So if you've got any, you know, I know your take-home message is to be get
3: vaccinated, but, yeah, I'll let you say it. What do you reckon? Okay, well, echoing that then, uh, Doolittle, message number one, get vaccinated. This is the only way we're going to get back to um, life as we normally expect it to be. Um, two is um, the vaccines are very, very, very effective, Um, And it's certainly much better than um, being uh, very uh, gravely sick and being in ICU on a ventilator. Um, And, you know, we haven't even touched on some of the longer term sequelae of um, contracting COVID-19, which we won't have time for, but uh, it uh, obviously mitigates that. And um, the third message is, I think um, health authorities, as well as us clinicians and scientists, we just need to be a little bit clearer with our communication and not uh, cause inadvertent confusion.
1: Yeah, no, that is very important, The uh, getting those messages out there. I reckon they are getting out there. I'll, I'll give you another quick anecdote. My uncle, who uh, at the start was never going to get one, told me yesterday we were chatting on Zoom and he said he's had it. He's had his first. He decided he's got to do it for the community. We're not opening up without it. He wants to get back to travel and, uh, you know, we all know that lockdowns, uh, you know, uh, are dependent on our numbers. Once we get to 70, we uh, have a whole lot of freedoms for people who are vaccinated and once we get to 80, a whole lot of other freedoms. Hey, uh, we're going to wind up. Um, thanks, everyone. Uh, panel Beta, thanks for doing all the tech stuff in the studio, man. He's giving a thumbs up to everyone. Um, it is so hard doing these when we're all in different places and we're trying to communicate via Zoom and we, we can't do all our normal back channel and pointing at each other. So apologies to the audience that we do sound a little bit still when we're all in different states suburbs and everything special big thanks again to kate and tick from um dollysdream.org.au for um telling us about their um website and for all the amazing work they've done panel beater and uh moto and uh cybersuit get out on your bikes or whatever you're going to do get some exercise you're allowed to go within five k's i don't know what those circles are for you but get out there and 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 moto i want you to do your circumference and report back
0: Hi, this is Panel Beater. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Therapy, a weekly radio show dedicated to health, medicine and well-being, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Therapy's Facebook page.